Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We are so honored and privileged to have your company with us as we continue our exploration in this series that we're titled, Our Holiness Movement. And uh, literally, this series is about Christianity. Uh, we've titled the Holiness Movement to provide another perspective an alternative brand that maybe you have not been familiar with. And the series promises to reorient uh, your understanding and my understanding based on the biblical word, the, the, the biblical truth of what is the brand of Christianity that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death and rose again in order to launch on planet earth. And we would uh, suggest, submit to you that he came to create a people who would live like him on earth. And Peter in 1 Peter 1 tells us that as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And he's telling us here the foundation <clears throat> for our holiness got to be based on the fact that he who called us and who he who has uh, uh, li who he who lives on the inside of us is holy, and therefore we need to live that life that we were created to bear the image that we created to bear from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is inviting His people to live the very image that they were created to bear, to live like Jesus, the invisible image of God. But if you have been a Christian for a while, you may have been informed that Christianity is simply about making a response about confessing Jesus with your mouth, and that's all that it takes. It reminds me of what it is like in other religions where by testifying, by sharing a couple of sentences, you've basically changed your religion. But Christianity is far better than simply a statement of a, I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that is mingled with repentance, is that, if, if that activates a, a desire to, for regeneration, and if that is lived out in a life of transformation, the fruit of repentance, then by all means that sentence was accurate indication of the will of the heart. But for many of us who have simply grew up with the promoted uh, idea of making a decision, lifting your hand, standing up, coming to the front of the church, and all of a sudden everything is changed, and that is not followed up by a transformation of life, we come to a point of hearing about living like Jesus, and we say, that's not possible. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't buy into that. I don't know that that is uh, something that can be activated in my life. I recall several years ago in one of the churches that I pastored, I shared a particular series, a preaching series on the new creation, 
on the fact that God literally changes our nature as we accept Him as Lord and Savior. He deposits the Holy Spirit within us to regenerate us, to give us a nature that is inclined to love God and love the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. I explored different stories from the New Testament of people who encountered Jesus and their lives was, were transformed that it impacted their behaviors for the rest of their lives. Not sinless, but they loved on Jesus and followed Him wholeheartedly, which impacted the way they related to their family members, impacted the way they uh, you know, functioned in their work environment. Uh, it impacted the way they managed their time and their budget. And uh, it was a, a beautiful series. It was one of my favorite series, to be quite uh, honest. However, I received an email at the last, uh, after the last message I preached on Sunday. On Monday morning, on my day off, I received an email and that was naughty. I shouldn't have really checked my emails. Uh, but uh, this particular guy that I was so invested in, he's a new, uh, almost like a newcomer to church. His wife had made a decision to really follow Jesus and had an experience of God. He was a businessman. Uh, his business was thriving. He had a, a really, um, you know, different uh opportunities to, to, to engage into, um, you know, going to the next level, I guess, to, to improve his, and he was fully focused on his business and uh, on uh, improving and developing and taking the business to, to, to the next level. And he wrote to me saying, I have been listening to you for several weeks about this whole thing about, about God and, and living like Jesus on earth. And you're saying that's what Christianity is like and that's what Christians receive when they receive the new nature. He says, I have never seen a Christian like that. I, I, I'm not sure that it's even possible to live like that. And I understand because growing up, all of us, when we uh, were sold the idea of Christianity, we were not told about the real life that follows the decision, the defining decision. We were not told that we will be enabled to live by the power of the Spirit, this brand new way of life. And for some Christians, the idea of living like Christ in the world is probably not interesting to them. It's like, I want to receive His forgiveness. I want to be assured of an eternal abode, but I'm not interested to change my lifestyle and the decisions that I make and the relationships that I have and the hobbies that consume my time and the money that I'm striving to accumulate. I'm not interested in that. That type of life is not what I have adopted when I made that decision or even if I haven't made the decision, I'm not interested in that. For some of us, that type of Christianity is not popular. That's why the church uh, presents a gospel at times that does not 
uh, uh, indicate the implications uh, that, 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 that has for that decision. So we say they will learn it over time. Why? Because we believe that if we tell them that there is a new way of living, we're worried that that seems to prevent, may prevent some people from making the immediate decision. And we want, you know, uh, to, to see how many hands are lifted up, how many people come to the front. So we just give them one aspect that salvation is going to change our relationship with God but it's not going to change the way we live our lives. And for others, this type of life of Christ-likeness, a holy living, is possibly, they feel that it's impossible. It's just not what humanity can do. And, and you know, you hear it all the time. People say, we're not perfect. I, I absolutely agree. We are not perfect. In First John chapter 1, it says that if we say we do not sin, that we are liars and the truth is not in us. But I feel like we say we're not perfect almost flippantly as an excuse of doing life as we wish because we're not perfect. That is not what's the intention that God has for His people. God has made it possible for us to live the life that He intended from creation that we would live, that Jesus came and paid for that life and demonstrated that life so that we could practically be enabled by the Spirit to practice it, to live it. Yes, not perfect sinless, uh, sinless life, not perfect sanctification, but genuinely a life that gradually and gradually hates the things that God hates, love the things that God loves, and as a result resembles the character of God in practicality. You see, when we talk about salvation, we sometimes talk about it as an exchange, an assertion and beliefs and something that's cognitive. Yet Jesus didn't mention it that way. In John 3, he says, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a Pharisee that came to ask him, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. When, he, when Nicodemus was confused about how can we be born again? How can we re-enter our mother's womb? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. What is this whole thing about being born again? I think it's taken, uh, you know, uh, so, some people feel that it's been uh, badly damaged, this idea, I'm born again, I'm born again, because people say, I'm born again because they've made a decision, but don't live uh, a, a godly life. And some people have dismissed this concept of being born again. But being born again means having a new nature. Look at what uh, John says in John 1, 11, says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, that is receive Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, a children born not of the natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Listen to me, friends. 
The idea of salvation being an exchange of ideas or a transaction between us and God or confessing Jesus with our mouth and believing in our hearts, we sometimes dismiss the concept that it's actually a regeneration where God restores His image on the inside of us. He renews our spirits. He gives us a hearts a heart of flesh and He puts the deposits His Spirit on the inside of us so that we have new inclinations for God. We do not receive doctrine by which we are saved. We receive a person, those who received Him, which simply is an interpretation, is a translation of believing in His name. So much is uh, being said about believing doctrines as if that's how we are saved. But the enemy understands all those doctrines. If it's only assertions and beliefs, then even Google will be saved. But the reality is we receive a person. We have a DNA of God on the inside of us. Remember the, 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 uh, uh, the parable of the sower? The, the seed is the Word of God. The Word of God expressed, either written or expressed in the life of Jesus. He is the incarnate Word of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us in chapter 1 verses 14 or so. That Jesus is the Word of God incarnate and we receive Him. That means we receive receive His DNA, we receive His divine nature on the inside of us. And that what enables us to live like Jesus. It tells us who we are. And, uh, and I like to bring to your attention a passage from the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, that expresses that very heart of Jesus of the new nature that we have embraced when we have received Jesus. And Peter wrote uh, this letter before uh, he was martyred. So most commentators say it's between 65 and 67 AD. He wrote it for the uh, purpose of stimulating the believer's uh, spiritual growth as well as help them know how to deal with false teachers and to be eager and awaiting the second coming of Jesus. And to these people, the first thing Peter says is describe who they are. If he's going to stimulate their life that resembles Jesus, he wants them to understand who they are. And that's how he begins in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See what Peter is saying to the believers. He's saying that God in His incredible goodness and His incredible uh, uh, glorious attributes, He has given us promises that will transform our lives. What are these promises? 
I don't necessarily know what he refers to here, but I would like to remind you of what we mentioned a couple of sessions ago of Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promised that he will give us a new heart and he will deposit his spirit in us. It's the spirit uh, covenant. It's the new covenant. And this is the promise that makes us participate in divine nature, where the spirit of God, comes within us to change our identity and to enable our God-given calling. That, that's the power of the Spirit of God when we receive Jesus, we receive His Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. We become participants in divine nature. And when we become participants of divine nature, we recognize our potentiality. Have you ever driven a car and somebody, uh, you know, after several months said to you, have you noticed this particular functionality on your dashboard or this particular button that you can press? And say, no, I never actually tried it. We do that a lot with our mobile phones where we don't know all the uh, technical capabilities of a device. But once we discover those capabilities, we know what the, the, the particular device is capable of being or this car is capable of doing. And I imagine Peter is reminding the believers of their potentiality in God. What they have on the inside because they have Christ's DNA because of the indwelling Holy Spirit on the inside of them because of the grace of Jesus. We couldn't be particip participators and partakers of divine natures in our own abilities. That comes by grace, the grace that came from the redemption that Jesus accomplished by His substitutionary death. So Peter is saying to them, friends, you have everything you need for a godly life. You have everything that it takes. It's already on the inside of you. You don't need to go purchase it from a shop. You don't need to jump through hoops. You don't need three years of probation on probations in a church environment. No, you have what it takes because you share in divine nature. But look what he says after that. Immediately after he says, for this reason, the fact that you now have divine potentialities for this very reason, make every effort. Let's stop there. Make every effort. What are you on about, Peter? You're saying that we have divine capabilities on the inside of us, which enables us to live the life of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus uh, from the dead. He's on the inside of us, enabling our life. And Peter says, it is supernatural, but it's not automatic. And some of us need to hear that afresh. To grow to be more like Jesus, to express the awesome nature of God in our daily activities is supernatural. You can't do it in your own abilities, but it's not automatic. There is a way where we participate in the process of our sanctification. We need to collaborate with the prompting of the Spirit in a moment-by-moment -moment obedience. People that think obedience is legalistic are people who are missing out on the opportunity to collaborate with the Spirit of God and, and, and exhibit the character of Christ more and more in their daily lives. Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. What does goodness mean? 
goodness, that word potentially means excellence. It's a, a, a excellence is what the purpose of something when it's delivered to the best of its capacity. Excellence is what we are meant to be doing and we do it best. That's excellence. I saying you receive Jesus by faith. Now live out that excellency, that life of Jesus. He's the perfection. He's the supreme image that reveals what you're like. And he says, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And uh, here uh, we need to potentially just uh, uh, for a second uh, rewind and say, Add to your faith is something that people in our evangelical family of believers find it very difficult to say out loud. How could Peter be saying to us, add to your faith anything, Peter? And he goes on with a big list. Look, I thought it was just faith alone, grace alone. That's the motto of the Reformation. But maybe that's a misinterpretation of it. Because as it's been beautifully articulated, grace is not opposed to effort. It's grace is opposed to earnings. You can't earn your way into God's good books, but effort is not opposed to grace. It's actually complementary. We have the grace of God, partakers of divine nature for this reason. Make every effort. It's a complementary. It's an outcome. It's working out what God has worked on the inside of us, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. So he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to be like Jesus in that way. To goodness knowledge here, knowledge uh, could be experiential knowledge. It could be the correct doctrine because he's got in mind the false teachers. Uh, this is related to our relationship with God to grow in knowledge, in grace and knowledge, to, to, to know God, to know about God, but more importantly, to know God experientially, which means uh, usually the, word, the verb to know ex expresses how a husband and a wife know one another in an intimate way. And this is eternal life that we may know Him and, uh, and grow in knowing Him. So we grow in, in the knowledge of God, in our relationship with God. Then he says self-control, perseverance, and godliness. Those three terms speak of our inner life. Godliness is a generic term that speaks of God-likeness. It's general godliness. It's general piety. It's living appropriately. And perseverance and self-control speaks of purity and of perseverance in the face of the pressures of life. Self-control is purity in the face of the pleasures of life. And then, so that's our relationship with God in knowledge, our inner life that is living in purity and perseverance in overall God-likeness, and to godliness, mutual affection. That speaks of our relationship with other believers. Can you see mutual affection is often translated brotherly love? And to brotherly love, love. 
what, what, you, what do you mean, Peter? Brotherly love or mutual affection, we add love. That word love is love for everyone. That is, motivates our influence in the world. Here is our Christ-likeness, deposited in us as divine nature, but actualized in us as we collaborate with the Spirit. That's why we make every effort in every area of our spiritual growth. We actually grow to be more like Jesus as we collaborate with the Holy Spirit. But I want to bring to your attention the way Peter concludes this awesome passage. It says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I want to highlight to you, Peter is saying, if you possess, there is a condition to a status that occurs as a result of fulfilling that condition. It's been well said, I think it might be Rick Warren, that says every promise must have a premise. That when we want God's promises to be fulfilled, we need to also play our part in that premise, in that condition. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, that means you grow. You grow more and more in revealing the traits of your Christ-likeness. What will happen? You'll be effective and productive. The opposite is, if you don't possess them, you'll be ineffective and unproductive. That means some followers of Jesus who have received this uh, salvation, but they are not living in sanctification. They are not growing in their walk. They are ineffective and unproductive and they're wondering why. It's because you're not possessing these qualities. You're not collaborating with the Spirit so you can live this out in increasing measure. Friends, it's not mystical why some of us are experiencing effectiveness in our knowledge of God and productivity and others aren't. It's not automatic. It's got a condition. But then he gives another incredible condition that may make you gobsmacked. Therefore, Peter says, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. What? What do you mean confirm our calling and, and election by effort? I thought it's all out of grace, Peter. I thought it's, you know, we all saved by grace through faith and anything that has effort uh, is legalistic, particularly to, conform, to confirm our calling and election. It's, it's, it's free, brother. He's saying no. The reality that you discover that you truly have been called and elected is that your life demonstrates the expressions of that calling and election. And he says, for if you do these things... If you do these things, if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My question to you, if you do not do these things, if you are not collaborating with the Spirit, if you are not making every effort, if you are not allowing the Spirit to control and reveal Jesus through you gradually, what would that verse read? Will you have received a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord? 
Uh, friends, I want to read to you a particular uh, quote by one of our favorite uh, commentator, Bible commentators. His name is Warren Wisby. We have quoted uh, this particular passage in our book, the Gen J book, and it says this, If we make lavish provision to grow spiritually, then God will make lavish provision for us when we enter heaven. It is not our profession of faith that guarantees that we're saved. Listen to Wisby. It is not our profession of faith that guarantees that we are saved. It is our progression in the faith that gives us that assurance. An extraordinary life awaits us if we live the life that God intended for us. You know, believers pursue a life of holiness because they accept the biblical truth that they have everything they need to live like Jesus in the world. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. They live their future self in the present because of their past. They live their future self with Christ-like perfection. That's their future self in eternity. They live that on earth in the presence with some distortion, obviously. And they do that because of their past, because they have been deposited with the divine nature. They partakers with divine nature. They have the DNA of Christ so they can exhibit His nature. I pray that you would be so persuaded with the biblical truth that you have everything it takes to live the life of Jesus on earth and that you would beg the Holy Spirit that He would empower you, that He would enable your effort, that He would work within you to will and to do according to His purposes that you may be able to live your Jesus likeness in the present because of the DNA of Jesus that you received when you accepted Him as Savior and Lord. My wholehearted prayer is that you see yourself differently so you can live a Jesus-like life on earth. We are so grateful that you are, uh, you've been with us and we look forward to seeing you again in our next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed. 